Well, this is part two of our interview. Um, Kid Anderson here, and uh, I'm uh, going to be talking about my uh, activities in the studio, my studio in Greaseland. Last time we talked about my uh, playing guitar and being a musician and stuff, and uh, this is uh, related, but it's also a different, uh, a different angle. So uh, here we go. <laughs> Can I ask you one question? When we left off, you had just, you had joined um, Rick Estrin and the Nightcats after you had been kicked out for drinking with John Nemeth's band. One thing I didn't ask you about, if you don't mind me asking, is how difficult was it to stop? Um, well, that time it was not that difficult. Uh, I, f I found, but I had tried several times before. Right. Uh, you know, as one time for a, a month, three months. Uh, I went like six months for a year and got married. No, was that? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was a year. Uh, I forget. <laughs> but it wasn't I had, difficult. <clears throat> uh, I would I would say, you know, I was I was pr I was done. You know, I was I was I was pretty done. So, you know. There's a lot, you know, a lot of things about it. It's has been. Uh, I I can't I can't say it's been really difficult. Um, there's a. Um, I don't. You know, I'm around alcohol all the time. I have it in the house. Um, it doesn't bother me. You know, I. If I had a hard time being around it, it would have been very difficult. But I was I was so done that it didn't it didn't bother me to, uh, you know, be in bars, or be around people. When they're drinking, at this point, it doesn't really occur to me that much, you know, hardly at all. There was there was some challenges with it, but you know, and I had a lot of you know um, apprehensions and fears about drinking. Many times, I thought you know there would be no more fun. I wouldn't, you know, you know, I, I felt kind of like damned if I do, damned if I don't for a while, for a good long while. But it just it kind of got to the point where the things that I was afraid of losing if I were to give up drinking, you know, I felt like I had already lost them while drinking. So, you know, like, like I wasn't enjoying it anymore. So it, it really wasn't that hard for me. And, and, and my life, you know, it stayed very, it stayed interesting and it, and it really kept improving as I did it. So it wasn't, it wasn't that challenging. The thing that was challenging was that after, you know, after I stopped drinking, you know, there was a there was a a period in t in the interim where I did get pretty uh, pretty hooked on um, prescription painkillers and opiates. Um, yeah, so I went kind of actually more or less straight from uh, being a drunk to being a you know, I was really a junkie for all intents and purposes. I was doing OxyContin and, and uh, um, opiates like that, and and um, and I became quickly like very very addicted to those. For the first few years, I was in the Nightcats, and uh, that that was harder to stop. You know, eventually I got to, you know, the same point. You know, as as Rick uh, likes to say, I, you know, we, we got I got. You know, sick enough 
of myself. You know, I got disgusted enough with myself to actually want to stop. Uh, and uh, uh, we had this one tour of Turkey that lasted six weeks. You know, the, the, the hard part about quitting those things, as opposed to alcohol, was that, you know, with alcohol, I would, like I said, I had quit before. Uh, and the thing I would notice is that I would... Uh, after about a week or something, of, or, you know, however long it took me to get over feeling shitty, you know, it wasn't that long. It would it would go maybe, you know, if it was real bad, maybe a week or two, and then I would like just start feeling really good. You know, there's a you know there's a real uh, when you get out of the out of the alcohol fog, it's it's actually kind of you know very a very good feeling. It's like you know the pink cloud they talk about. Um, the thing with the opiates prescription opiates like like I was doing was that it was kind of the opposite when you stop quit those I would get like which I tried also multiple times you know you get really depressed and and just lethargic and and um, for a really long time it can it can be several months and that was very hard to endure and and that's how I failed a, a few times it was uh, it's very hard to uh, to quit in the first place because of the withdrawals and everything, but the uh, the length of the uh, um, just the, the the period you would just feel you know before you start feeling normal and start creating your you know normal dopamine levels and everything and start feeling happy and excited about shit. It's a really long time, and that broke me on multiple occasions when I tried to quit those things. So eventually, I quit that because we had a tour in Turkey for six weeks. It was a six-week tour. I knew that there was no way I could, you know, bring or ration enough pills to last me through that tour. I knew I wasn't hardcore enough to, like, try and get drugs illicitly on the street in Turkey. So... <laughs> so uh, so basically, I I knew I was you know I knew I was kind of kind of fucked and, and and it was it was so but I was also done like I was with, with the drinking so and I from some research it seemed like after about a month so six weeks you know of being in withdrawal I might be okay enough to to um, to not relapse when I came back. Um, and that's that's what happened. I, I I basically ran out of my pills if, within the first few days of us playing a six week tour in Turkey with uh, it was us and Lucky Peterson and and the Lucky Peterson manager Steve Washington became like a, my makeshift sponsor and uh, and yeah we had a um, we had a hell of a time with that in you know and and also. You know, so so I went through I went through the withdrawals. I I, I went, <laughs> and that was a hell of a uh, it, tour, right? It was a hell of a tour. It was, it was you know, and we're in the bus together all day. We're playing every night. That's the other thing. You know, I had no choice. I had to force myself. You know, it wasn't like I could you know lock myself up in a bunker and 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 come out when I was good. I had to be around people. I had to play. I you know I had to do all this shit. And there was no I couldn't get you know, my drugs if I wanted to. So that's, uh, that's how it worked for me. By the time I, that tour was over, I was, you know, and I felt really, 
crappy for about pretty much the whole time. I was just like insomnia, diarrhea, <laughs> you name it, for like for like thirty something days. But by the time it was, we got to the end. I just, you know, I'd made it so far that 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 you know it didn't it didn't break me that time. You know, I came back home, and I was, you know, I was like, I don't need it. I'm okay. I'm, I'm I can feel that I'm getting better, and and I want I need to stay on this path. So I have, you know, since that was the last time I you know ever did anything like that, and that was uh, 2011. So that's coming up on. Uh, 12 years, uh, 13 years? Thir 12, 13 years, yeah. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think we would go that route, but thank you for sharing that. <laughs> well, I'll get it in there. I did want to talk to you, as I said in the last episode, about um, your involvement with Greaseland and how, and how this thing has just exploded. Or from where I sit, it seems to be the studio choice for a lot of people, and you've done a great many recordings, successful recordings, and it's a very respected studio that a lot of people want to work at. How did that first begin? Well, I was, I was always into, um, you know, the production, you know, there's recording. I mean, you know, my, my experience with, with, you know, with the music, you know, it goes beyond the, goes beyond just, you know, guitar. You know, I remember when I was, you know, when I was a kid and, and listening to and getting into the old blues stuff and, you know, I listened to stuff like, you know, Howling Wolf and Muddy Waters and, and, and especially some of those late 50s chess records. I mean, they just had such an atmosphere and, and mystery to it. And I would listen to this stuff and, and uh, you know, I would just be, feel like transported to another world by all these records, these classic blues records. And I didn't really feel that so much from newer blues records uh, and beyond that you know I think anybody who's who's a musician who's been in the studio you know I've had kind of a number of bad experiences underwhelming experiences with it the, the you know the first few times and there's just you know there's just always this um boundary this wall between most engineers and musicians especially in this genre especially in in the blues genre because a lot of studio guys engineers they, they don't have a reference point for for blues they're not into the same shit i'm into and and uh, so it's very hard to explain you know what sounds i'm looking for what what different things uh you know mean to me and and um I was very into, you know, the whole production aspect, but I didn't, I didn't do any engineering or anything like that or recording myself for, for a long time. It seemed, it seemed like a, like a mountain to climb, you know, stuff you had to learn. It looked very complicated. It looked like it was beyond me, but I still learned, you know, I would still be the guy who tried to communicate between the band and the engineer. So, you know, that became kind of my first, you know, role as, as sort of a producer and uh, and and I really did that from probably like the first time I was in a recording studio which what I was like 18 or something with my uh, it was me and uh, and Billy T from Norway did, did you always know the sound like did you always hear that sound in your head 
Well, I mean, there's there's different sounds, you know. There's um, I was into you know I was into different things and 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 uh, but it was you know just the fact that the music would transport me somewhere when I put on a record, it would it would take me somewhere else, you know. It would spark your imagination, make you feel like you know you're in a world of a wonder and. Uh, and most, you know, experience in the studio can be kind of like, you know, stifling and, and generic. And, you know, I wanted to get that, you know, get those kind of feelings when I was recording. And also, you know, a lot of, you know, kind of sounds that, yeah, that I, that I, that I really liked. And I, and, you know, engineers wouldn't really know what I'm talking about. And I didn't know how to get them. So, yeah, I would have, I would learn gradually how to, create the things that you know the things that I was that I was hearing you know how to make my my vision come you know come to life uh, and I think that's the most important thing of all is to have a vision you got to know what you want to you know you got to know what you want to hear you got to know what you want to do what you want to make uh, you can't make it if, if you don't you know if, if you can't visualize it I mean or you know mentally do you think a lot of artists that you work with do they come in come in knowing that idea like is that their responsibility or is that your responsibility that's a really good question i've been thinking about that uh a lot because that really varies that really varies i as an artist myself i would always you know come in with that vision but not everybody does you're you're right and and some uh like when i play with like terry hank is a good example he's a he said, you know, the first band I played with it in the, the United States, and he was, I started, you know, working with him on his records immediately. Um, and he's a guy who, who um, you know, always struggled to communicate with, uh, actually, you know, sometimes with the band as well as the, as well as the um, engineer, because Terry would always say stuff like, yeah, you know, I want it to sound kind of like, and and he would like make a face and do a, a little dance in place, and his lips would move, but it wouldn't actually make a sound. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so I could I could clearly see that everything he wants is happening right now up in his head. You know, it's just how do we get communicate that to the other guys? I mean, that's still a challenge with, with <laughs> but but. But uh, I got pretty good at that. At kind of like sensing what you know what, what he wanted. So that's an artist, for instance, that you know definitely has a very clear vision, a picture of the sound that he wants to uh, to get. You know, the album being honest. Yes, yeah, some come in with a with a complete vision, um, and some come in with with none at all, and. Uh, my gig is basically I fill in the blanks, but it is difficult if people don't you know don't have a vision and I and and you know I, and I gotta you know the way I've been you know arrived what I've arrived at as in order for me to really produce a good album with somebody I have to love them you know in 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 some way I have to you know because what I do ideally um, when I when I produce an album for somebody is that you know i i create i present to the world how i see this person you know and, and it's got to be 
if it you know and if it's somebody that I really love or or, or love something about then that's that's uh, that's easy um and and usually and ideally I just I like to just really work with people that that you know that, that I love I mean it doesn't have to you know I don't mean in love um <laughs> but, but I wonder when you first started out I don't know if you started yeah. your studio because you had solo material and you got into recording yourself and that kind of grew but when you first started out I don't know if you could afford to just work with the people you wanted to work with oh no 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 that's uh that, well it did start as you said which I think is true for a lot of studios is that it started because uh I wanted to you know I wanted to record my music that was one thing there was a couple of things for one thing I got tired of I got tired of working with other engineers you know I got tired of having to explain uh, you know the more I learned um, you know, the, the more directly I could tell them what to do, I would say, okay, you know, use an old, use a tube mic preamp and drive it in the red, you know, you know, shit that you're not supposed to do, but that's the sound uh, of, of a lot of the records we love, you know, and, and I got tired of hearing the old, uh, uh, it's going to sound different when we mix it, you know, it's going to, you know, it's not been mixed yet. It's going to sound different. When, I was like, fuck that, man. How about we make it sound good now? <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's, that's, uh, you know, why can't we make it sound the way we want it to sound right now as we're doing it? And then I realized most, you know, most studios, most places get paid by the hour. So consequently, the slower they work, the more they make. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that, that, to, 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 to me, that was like, that was the final, you know, I'm going to really start trying to learn this myself. And, uh, it was, you know, I first started. This was in one of, like I said, multiple times that I, that I'd stopped drinking. Then you know, all of a sudden, you're like, got to find something to do with your day um, and evening. And um, I started when I was living, and I was living here right in this in this same house uh, with Bob Welsh and Hans Basse. Those were my roommates. Bob Welsh, who plays with Elvin Bishop, uh, uh, Big Fun Trio, and and he plays in the Fabulous Thunderbirds and. At the time, we were playing in Charlie Musselwhite's band together, and uh, and uh, this guy Hans Basse, who was, a, who was an excellent drummer, who was also our third roommate here. One of the times I stopped drinking, I came to talk to a friend of mine who was a janitor at a radio station, like the Hawk or some some big radio station up by Sacramento or Folsom, and um, he was he basically had like a janitorial role, and he was put in charge of discarding. Uh, old mixing board and um, and an and Otari half-inch uh, eight-track tape machine uh, and a whole bunch of stuff, basically. So I went up to see this guy, and it was like, a, you know, it was like, a, it was awesome. He just had all this stuff that was free, you know. <laughs> and, and, and it really wasn't junk, you know. It took a little bit of, little bit of work, and... and uh, you know, and I got, we got the stuff working and I got the tape machine working and I had like, you know, a pretty good, you know, good quality tape machine. And I started out playing my own stuff, but then, you know, there'd be like guys who were like, um, you know, good friends of ours who were like, oh, who, you know, who said, hey man, you do recording here? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, let's do, you know, let's do a, a recording. We had this guy, P.A. Slim, who's, who plays at the saloon all the time. We did 
recorded with him and then Sid Morris as his piano player lives down the street and and uh you know the first thing I recorded that was actually put out was RJ Mischo who I was playing with you know when I was home and not out with Charlie or or, or Rick you know I would play every Tuesday with RJ so we um we uh, we recorded him and that's kind of how it got started and it was at first, it was it was something to do. It was something I had talked about. Me and Bobby used to talk about it a lot. Wouldn't it be cool to have our own studio? You know, when you sit up at night, you know, getting drunk, uh, and, and uh, you you know, go, yeah, man. And and then you know, and then when I stopped drinking, I was like, what if I actually do it? <laughs> How long did it take for you to get to a point where you you knew your studio, you knew your craft? Oh well, that never really stops. You know that that never really, really ends. Um, you know, it's always you're always learning. It's, it's it's a constant learning process. One thing that happened is that I got, like I said, I got one of the times like we're drinking. I got married and I moved to Sacramento, uh, which is how we got to know Rick and and uh, the house I was living in with my wife at the time. This was uh, at I had, that happened after I started the studio here. I mean, I kind of started the studio. Then I get, went off and got married and moved to Sacramento. I left all my studio stuff here. Hmm. Uh, and while I was in Sacramento, I had, you know, even more time on my hands. And my wife at the time, she had an old uh, MacBook, you know, a laptop that she never used. And... I got myself a little Pro Tool set up, and that's where I learned to use digital recording and Pro Tools. Um, and it's easier to say with that, you know, when when I started getting the hang of it, because to me that shit, I mean, the, the digital recording on the laptop just sounded like shit to begin with, you know. Uh, um, the amazing thing with that tape recorder we had, me and Bob, and, and the, that old crummy stuff we got from the radio station is that it sounded amazing like i didn't even know what i was doing and and the, and, the, and, she, and it was just by pure luck i mean shit just sounded uh, you know really good some of the first stuff we recorded and then when i moved to digital it was so sterile and 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 uh, lifeless to sounding to me you know so and that was that was about 2006, 2007, 2008 was when I joined Rick. I would say maybe around the time of uh, right before um, we did the uh, uh, I did the first Nightcast Rick Esmond the Nightcast record Twisted for Alligator. That was in 2010. I'd say. Maybe right around that time, I started doing recordings that I thought were, you know, that I thought would held up, and and they do. Um, you know, I did a I did an album with Finest Tasby, that was about two thousand nine, I want to say. Um, it might have been a little later, um, but uh, I also did a, a recording with uh, this uh, Norwegian soul singer named Nora Nor that still holds up today. You know, so so I'd say. Um, yeah, around around two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I think I started to, you know, make productions that that I think still you know think sound pretty good. Well, uh, I wonder at what point did the studio, Greece, become a very serious entity? I mean, 
by 2017, you had won Keeping the Blues Alive Award and was recognized for your contributions in that studio to blues music, which is a big deal. But, that was uh, very cool. <laughs> yeah. But w at what point do you think, was there like an album or two that established no, that? No, it's, it's, it's it was very gradual. I mean, it was always serious to me, you know. It, right. it was, you know, it was my... It was my passion and my work, and it's, you know, it's all I've focused on. It's hard to say. Um, I, can't, I can't really pinpoint the time because it's always been everything f for me, you know. I had a, I mean, when I was in high school, we had, a, we had this band. We were kind of like a punk, early rock and roll type band, and, and, um, and we, you know, we came up with the name Greaseland. For that band, which you know, the the band lasted like a month, uh, but <laughs> but uh, you know, I made an album for a Norwegian label uh, called Blue Mood Records, and I, I called that one album Greaseland, and and that's I used that as the name of the studio. You know, it's it's been, you know, kind of my my trademark whatever ever since. You know, it's just like a, a name for my you know my world really, which is. You know, these days, you know, what's happening now, like we've been doing the Blues Cruise, that's the Greaseland All-Stars, we've, you know, it's, it's um, you know, and I'm also, you know, working with a whole bunch of different people and a lot of, you know, a lot of records for Little Village Foundation and stuff, so it's, uh, you know, it's it's like a new kind of thing because it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not doing one thing in the traditional sense, you know, I'm doing multiple traditional things in, in, in the new kind of combination or a new way. Um, you know, I don't know. It's, 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 it's all, it's all very organic and it's not plotted out or thought through, you know? So it's not like I had a, like a fucking world domination plan and a vi vision chart. And I, you know, with like deadlines and goals and shit like that. I'll just, I'm just, I just go, you know, and, and do, um, you know, at this point, you know, more and more, I, I, you know, I figured out I've created something by just kind of by doing what I want to do. And that's, I mean, that's incredibly fortunate uh, for me. <laughs> that's because most people got to get by mostly by doing shit they don't want to do. Right. I, I wonder, uh, would you have started, I mean, not having goals, but would you have had a philosophy to what you do? Was there a philosophy to what you recorded, how you recorded, or the type of projects that you got involved in? And if so, has that changed over the over time? I am, um, yeah. Like you, like you, like I said earlier. Of course, that you know, at some point, you know, early on, you would, you you would take, you know, to any gig, any any recording gig, um, uh, with anybody, because you know, you need the money, or you need the experience, or you just didn't have anything else to do. You know, now and also, like I said, now I'm I'm trying to only do what I want to do, and I'm trying to only work with people that that I love or love something about uh, that makes it easy to to commun to communicate and put forth the, uh, the 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 best you know product with them uh so philosophy i mean i i i've i've many philosophies well for one thing i've never placed much weight on having an impressive uh, conventional nice looking studio you know right if you, when you get into this kind of stuff i mean you're going to read all kinds of stuff online or, or about you know all the things you have to do traditionally you have to 
you know, have like double doors. You have to have a floating floor. You have to have a, you know, your room can't be, uh, 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 you know, there has to be a certain shape and you uh, just uh, shit like that. And, and, uh, and you have to use this and they have to, you know, yeah, I think none of that stuff matters. The only thing that is really going to make the difference is do you have the vision? Do you know what the sound you're, you want? And then step two is figuring out how to get it. You know, there's something to every bit of information about how to record and how to mix and how to have a, make a studio. There's, you know, of course, there's something to all of that, but it is so completely insignificant and secondary compared to that. Do you have the vision? Do you have the sound in your head? And do you know how to go about getting it? You know, my thing is basically, you know, intuition. You know, I'm very fast with Pro Tools. I can I can do things that are very technologically advanced. I mean, the the thing is, which has been said before, is I I to me, the studio is it's it's a musical instrument. My philosophy really is there's no division between the technical and the musical side or the technical or the artistic side. It's all the same. It's all the same. It's all the same instrument. It's all the same beam pointing at the same planet that you're trying to blow up. Um, I'm thinking of Star Wars, Death Star. <laughs> and, but it, but it's, it, it's all... I think most people who would record it would just find it more organic and stuff because I'm not, I'm not bound by those conventions that you have to do it a certain way to be proper. I mean, proper is, is uh, you know, who gives a shit about proper? When you, when you listen to somebody do a song... You know, like, you know, the, the things that are important, really, the song, number one, you know, the performance, number two, and then the sound is number three. And that's, you know, that's something you always got to be, they always keep in mind. There's one really good example. There's a, there's a Charlie Rich uh, song called uh, I Feel Like Going Home. Mm-hmm. And and there's a, there was a box set or a thing with him where there's two versions of that song and the first one is him with a cassette recorder in his living room playing the piano and singing this is the demo that was also available on the oxford magazine disc i think oh you know it yeah 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 phenomenal it's phenomenal and then there's the studio version with the choir and the orchestra and 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 every the big production and it's just not it's just (laughs) not you know it doesn't it doesn't agree you know, you go, oh, that sounds nice. But the other one makes you cry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so that's not that's not to say, you know, let's try and sound shitty on purpose. But keep your focus on that. Whatever that magic is, you know, that's that's the most important one, you know. And, I've, you know, we've done that. I'm John Namath one time, uh, uh, you know, because uh, I, re- I recorded all of his al- albums for a while after... If, you know, after I stopped drinking because he fired me, so we we have a, gr- including his latest one, we have a great relationship. Yeah, we did one song, the song "Why Not Me," that I remember. He came in to just to cut demos with his band for the album, and that one song, the demo version that we did, it just couldn't it couldn't be beat. You know, it was we tried over and over again. You know, when the real recording date came up and. It just, you know, we just couldn't beat that demo. So that's that's what's, you know, on the record. Do you have at this point, 
you know, you talked about not starting with taking on projects that you might now have been into, but just just to keep your studio going. But at one point or another, um, you, you started to do projects that you were only interested in. Now, do you have the opposite problem of a lot of people contacting you and you just I, don't have the time to do it? Yes, I, I do. I, I, I really do. I mean, I got... Uh, and I'm 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 bad at saying no, and I'm I don't know if I should say this, but I'm bad at asking musicians for money. I don't really like taking money from musicians. It's it's a especially since the pandemic, that that kind of goes against my grain. I mean, I will, but <laughs> if I have to, <laughs> uh, but but um, I just I just find that I'm always progressing in a positive direction when I follow my heart as opposed to just following, you know, what's a better payday? What's, you know, what, what's, um, what should I do is, is, um, is fine. But what do I want to do? What do I feel like doing? That just seems to in the long run work out, you know, better puts me on a better trajectory. So, I mean, and I, and I do have, and I wish I had more time these days. That's my main problem is I have a, a lot of, great people I work with and I have I just don't have time for everything I got my hopes up for this uh, you know I hope they're still working on that cloning stuff because <laughs> <laughs> oh they, maybe if they can make an adult clone or oh, then I have to feed them uh, that's good. <laughs> that's how do you good. prioritize things I mean are you um, the guitarist for the Night Cats first are you the CEO of Greaseland first like how do you balance things? I'm I'm just I'm just I'm just me. I I don't think of things that way. Like I said, to me it's like it's like all one thing, you know. At at one point, um, you know, I had a request come in from you know from people, you know, a lot of bands and stuff want to record, and 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 I actually came up with the mantra is like I'm not in the service business. If if you need somebody to just you know record you. Or it's somewhere to just like track your band. It's that's not. I mean, I could do it, but I don't want to do it. So that's you know, I'm not. I'm not a service professional. I'm. I'm. I'm an artist. You know, everything I do has to do with art. And with with that, my. I mean, it, it's it's kind of all the same to me. And really, playing with Rick and knowing Rick, he's also enabled so many things. He has so many of the same passions I do. Like there's been albums that you know there's been things that we wanted to do out of our, you know, our passion for the music, you know, that me and him paid for ourselves, you know. Uh, like, originally, that's how uh, the first Willie Walker record, which later, that turned into the Little Village Foundation, and, you know, and we got our money back. But, <laughs> it, was, <laughs> but it wasn't but about the money. It was not about the money, no. And that's, you know, the more I go with that, those feelings, the better, you know, the better art I make, and the better I'm going to do in, in in the long run. So, that's you know that that's I guess maybe that's my philosophy. Yeah, I think that answered the question. If I can remember what the question was, <laughs> or like what do I prioritize? You know, yeah. yeah. I, it's it's if Nightcats have a gig, you know, I'm going to do the gig, and I usually know well enough in advance so I can plan stuff around it, uh, and and. Uh, you know, my calendar always fills up. I'm, and I can look at my calendar and see a month that has, like, no dots in it. 
and I still know at this point I'm going to be doing something every day. And, and, and every day that I don't have somebody coming over here to, to work on music, it's like great because then I can catch up on mixing all the other stuff. So I don't really have a, 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 you know, a set of a need for a set of priorities like that or need to identify myself as, as one thing or the other. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's all, it's all part of the same thing, which is, you know, making music, uh, for people to enjoy. And, you know, there's lots of, um, recordings that I've done, productions that I've done. I don't play on them. Uh, I don't play on them. I don't sing them. I didn't write them, but they, I hear them and I feel like they're, they're my music to me, you know, like, uh, a good example is the song, uh, is that it, uh, that, that, uh, that is one that Rick Estrin wrote, you know, back like in the 80s, recorded with Little Charlie and the Nightcats. And when we did that album with uh, Willie Walker, I thought of that song and I was like, Willie should do that song. And he did. And uh, he sang it. Rusty Zinn played guitar on it. I didn't play anything on it. Like physically, I didn't physically play anything on it. But it's I, when I listen to that, that's, you know, that's, that's my music. You know, I mean, that's part of, you know, part of the music that I created. So it feels like, to me, that feels like my music. I mean, that's, that's, that goes, you know, it goes way beyond, you know, picking up a guitar and, and, and getting applause for, for a guitar solo, uh, you know. But of course, it's, it's all, all, all that shit's fun, you know. The cool thing about guitar and gigs is, you know, I mean, you're out amongst people and you get, you get instant uh, response. That was actually one thing on this blues cruise we just did, uh, that was very cool because we did these Greaseland All-Star shows, which, I mean, I somehow have like a popular act or a band now that's that's been created like completely against my <laughs> my, <laughs> my own intentions. <laughs> yeah. And we, 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 um, we did so we got moved from the BB King stage at, at, from the from the smaller stage on the Blue Screws to the big stage after one show because it was so packed. And I did this one show that was called Greaseland Storytellers where I had a bunch of the people who have recorded here all come together and tell little stories and, and play one song each. I had, you know, Rick Estrin, I had Charlie Musselwhite, I had Tommy Castro, uh, Elvin Bishop, Chris Kane. I, but I also showed um, a couple of videos, you know, that I made during the pandemic and stuff like that because, you know, just also focus on, you know, a lot of the streaming and the stuff we did, which which I loved. I loved the, the, the during the streaming during the pandemic. And, and it was, I mean, it feels like that, that time was tailor. That was like my time. It was tailor made for me because I, <laughs> I had all the technology, all the connections, all the you know where like other acts got just relegated to you know. I guess I'm just being you know in the bathroom with my iPhone and acoustic guitar, and that's how I'm gonna play for people for the next couple of years, you know. And and fuck, I was here with tons of great musicians at my disposal with nothing to do, uh, an audience that are literally captive. <laughs> and then, <laughs> everybody else got fucking they got got you know are like trying to bang two rocks together and and i got fucking the big you know pro tools rig and green screens and i can you know i can i can go to space <laughs> so, so so that was like i was i consider that a bit of a heyday for me <laughs> uh but you're at home, you know, you're just at home, so you're just, you know, you're watching the comments and the likes and the, you know, and the little dings on your PayPal that roll in, which is all very cool. But 
to play some of that then that shit for people like in an audience it was that was like a movie theater basically like we played that one video i did with elvin called lockdown and the the watching the reaction from people in real time as they're looking at the video because you know some of those videos of shit i spent many 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 hours on on my own in my fucking dungeon here and uh you know i'm amused but i don't you know and i but i've never seen people watch them and react them you know in 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 a big crowd before it was unbelievable it was so cool you know as much as i love the pandemic uh and and just being at home and doing this shit all the time you know i always get that kick out of being on on stage you know and and having a, a larger group of people to to uh you know to feed off of it was it's pretty uh, you know but it's like i like i like all of it that's what i'm saying i'm trying to do only stuff that i want to do and go you know it's, it's, it's getting there <laughs> well i mean it's pretty impressive the, the the journey you've taken and without a plan you know, from a little town in Norway to where you are today, working with the people that you do, it's it's. Pre- I don't know if you look at it and go, "Oh my God, I can't believe this." But oh no, I do all the time. To- all the time, I gotta pinch myself and I and I go, and I go, "God damn it, fucking fifteen year old, you know, Christopher could see me now," you know. <laughs> That's that, you know that that's my that's my, that's you know that's really my target audience you know myself at, at fifty you know, I want to <laughs> that's um, I just and there's yeah it's been like a, a crazy amount of you know moments like that and and some of the people I've I've gotten to work with it's it's uh, yeah I'm I'm just I'm unbelievably lucky you know I mean. I mean, I worked hard, and I'm known for working very hard and having a very strong work ethic. But you know, to tell you the secret is I r- like working. You know, because I'm well. You know what they say. I mean, you know, if you if you what do they say? Uh, if if you make you know work with something you love or make your passion your job, then you will never work a day in your life. Whatever. Right. Well, you have done well. Thank you so much for doing this, and thank you for the the second part that we didn't get to the last time. But I really appreciate you taking I, out a your I, busy. I, I, I appreciate you let me go uh, go ten minutes over. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you again. I, I really you. do appreciate this. All right. Thank you so much, man. All right. You take care.